What's going on, Marlins fans? Welcome back to the Marlins HQ podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Schlesinger. You can follow me on Twitter, at MarlinsRyan. And this is a Spotify-exclusive episode, so thank you if you are listening right now. I'm about to get ready for bed for the night, but just figured I'd come on here and record a quick little game recap. Because for the Marlins, it's been quite the previous two days since we last chatted on Monday during the off day. So we start off with yesterday, and we get the news before the game, which the game wouldn't, wouldn't even end up happening, but we get the news that Tanner Scott will be going on the paternity leave. And that means that we probably won't see Tanner Scott until the Pittsburgh series that starts on Friday. So, I mean, Tanner just had a baby, and kind of at the worst time, but I'm hoping we could get Tanner back on either Friday or Saturday so we can have him for the very end of the season. Because even though Nardi looks very good, you know, you still want Tanner Scott, who's been probably the best reliever in baseball. When your season's on the line, you'd prefer him over Nardi, even though Nardi has still been very good as well and has been one of the better relief pitchers in all of baseball as well. Definitely in the top 5% of guys this season. It's just hard to compare him or for him to even get a ton of national recognition across Major League Baseball because he's not really a closer. But he did get a nice save tonight. We'll get to that in just a moment. But then yesterday, after Scott goes on the paternity leave, we get the news that the game will be postponed. The game was supposed to start at 7.10 p.m. Eastern time in Queens. And the expected time for the game to resume was 9 o'clock, and there was no rain. So there had been rain in the previous few days in the New York area, and the Mets had not been at home. There was a soccer game, apparently, at the stadium at City Field. And there was some rain overnight. They didn't put the tarp on the field. The infield dirt was all wet, and they had a hard time getting it ready for the game. And then we get the announcement at around 8.30, I believe a little bit before 8.30, like closer to 8.15, that the game will not be played and there will be a doubleheader, a straight doubleheader, not a day-night doubleheader, just a doubleheader with about 30 minutes in between games the next day. And mixed reactions because, you know, it was a stressless night for the Fish on Tuesday, but you know they're going to be rusty for that doubleheader. And more so, some bad reactions because, no, number one, doubleheaders are really weird and it could mess you up at this stage of the season. Doubleheaders are things for like the middle of the summer, uh, the end of the first half, beginning of the second half. You don't want a doubleheader at the very end of September in the second to last series of the season and the final weekday series of the season. But that's what had to happen. But the main way it hurts the Marlins, because it does actually benefit them in one way, but I'll talk about them in a second. The main way it hurts the fish is that, well, Braxton Garrett, he got kind of messed up his whole routine. You know, starting pitchers, they expect when they're going to be starting, and they have a whole routine to prepare for that start. And when his start gets pushed back a day until 4 o'clock that next day when he was expecting to pitch at 7 p.m. that night on Tuesday, you know, that messes him up, and his performance and his results on the mound may not be as good. And unfortunately, that was the case today. We'll get to that in a moment. But 
The only way it really helped the Marlins was that guys like Luisa Rise get an extra day to rehab, but it didn't really matter in that sense, though, because Arise did not play today, and the Marlins took some some even uh, some more injuries in this game. So they took another toll, a bigger toll, to their injured list right now, or at least their list of guys who are banged up and still playing through it. We'll talk about that in a moment. But yeah, the Marlins are without their star closer right now, Tanner Scott, on paternity leave, hopefully coming back soon. They're without arguably their two best starting pitchers, or two of their three main starting guys, two of their four main starting guys, if you include Lizardo, in Yuri Perez and Sandy Alcantara. So that's one thing. That's your best closer and some of your best starting pitchers. And then you also have Luis Arise, who's not on the injured list. He's with the team right now, but... He's dealing with some bad issues in his leg, knee area, and he is currently limping from what I've heard. He's having a hard time walking. He was in like a sandal boot thing or whatever on the field. They he put they put him in sandals before the game, but he wasn't really doing any baseball-related, uh, physical-related drills before the game. And, you know, it's just a bummer. I don't know when we'll get a rise back. But I'm thinking, I was talking about this with my dad, they'll probably just have Edwards play second base, they'll DH Arise, or they'll have Birdie play second base on days when Arise can play. If we do see him during the regular season, and if we get in, then we'll see him in the postseason. But you got to have Arise ready for at least the postseason if you get in, because you're going to need your best hitter, your guy who's hitting right around 350 right now, to be ready for the postseason. Because this guy was in, well, this guy was in the MVP conversation for the first two and a half months of the season, you need him for the postseason. He's going to be huge. He's a huge part of this team defensively and offensively. So you really need Luisa Rise. And it's a bummer that he has to be dealing with an injury right now. And he looked okay during that homestand. I know he suffered an injury. He was out for two or three games. Then he came back. And then he re-aggravated whatever was, whatever was bothering him when the Marlins had the lights out when a new pitcher was coming into the game. He was walking down the dugout steps, and he missed a step, and that was all it took to re-aggravate that injury. So it's a bummer, but the Marlins are going to have to deal with it for now. They've been so resilient throughout the season, so I think they'll be okay. But yeah, hopefully you can get a rise back for the postseason. But let's move on to today. I was not able to watch the start of this game today, but it was Braxton Garrett on the mound, as I mentioned against Joey Lucchese, who has not pitched much this season, but he's no elite Cy Young all-star type of pitcher. He is mid. He's kind of a veteran. I think he, you know, he's not that young, but he's been kind of a journeyman, if you want to call him that. He's played with the Padres. He's made his debut in 2018. And then he signed with the mess. He signed with the Mets in 2021. So he's not a journeyman, but you know, he's kind of just been a guy who is able to make spot starts on and on. He's just around, but he's never been anything really special, anything that the league needs to take a ton of attention to. And he was out for all of 2022 with an injury. Um, I believe that was Tommy John. But this year, you know, he's only started eight games. And the Marlins had a really hard time hitting off Joey Lucchese. They were actually making some hard contact, and Bell and Solaire both nearly went yard. But since the wind was blowing in, 
those were just flyouts. So unfortunately, you know, the Marlins should have scored some more runs in this game, even though they wouldn't have won because the Mets scored 11 off us. But yeah, the game could have been a lot different because then we wouldn't have had to bring in Ramon De Jesus, or sorry, he's not Ramon De Jesus. Sorry, that's the umpire, actually, the home plate umpire, who we'll get him in just a moment, but he played a big part in today's game or the night game today, unfortunately, because you don't want an umpire to make a big effect on the game. You just want him to, you know, do his job. But yeah, unfortunately, Ramon De Jesus didn't do his job, but it was Emmanuel De Jesus who had to come in and pitch for the fish, and he did not look very good. Two innings, seven hits, five earned runs, two walks, two strikeouts, did not have a put-away pitch. Uh, the Mets were making some good contact, good line drives off him, and yeah, he was very hittable. But like, if they score some more runs in that, then you don't bring in De Jesus for the final two innings. He doesn't give up five runs. And, you know, they could have only lost this game by a few runs, maybe even won it, depending on how the game would have played out. But, yeah, the, the bats look pretty quiet. Yeah, Jorge Soler goes 0 for 4. He does drive in a run. He gets an RBI, but he strikes out once. And overall, I mean, the only guy with a two-hit day, or the only two guys with a multi-hit game, or actually three guys, so never mind. Jazz had two hits. Birdie, three hits. He actually hit for the cycle in this doubleheader with, in the first game, he hit a triple, double, and an infield single. And then in the second game, he hit a home run to lead off the game. So good for John Birdie. He's been really swinging the bat well. He had that two-homer game in our final home game of the season back on Sunday. And he's been really swinging a hot bat. So that's good that you could get a hot John Birdie going into the postseason, especially if Arise isn't fully healthy or we'll have to DH. We'll see what happens with Luis Arise. But yeah, overall, this team, they could not hit with runners in scoring position in the first game. That carried over into the second game. Francisco Lindor looked really good against us. He hit two home runs in that first game. And so good that in the second game, the Marlins had to intentionally walk him. And Lindor also hit a home run in the second game. We'll get to that in just a moment. But that gives Francisco Lindor a 30-for-30 season. So it's an argument amongst MLB fans and Mets fans. But you could say, you could not say that Francisco Lindor was worth the money that the Mets paid him. But overall, he's still producing at a high level right now. Currently has exactly 30 home runs and 30 stolen bases with an OPS over 800, just over 800 at 803. So he's not worth what he's getting paid, but he's still playing pretty good baseball for the New York Mets for Mr. Smile. And yeah, the Mets, they were just hitting very well. Pete Alonso with a four-hit game and a home run as well, of course, because what's a four-hit game for Pete Alonso or even a three-hit game? Without a home run, Pete Alonso still one of the best sluggers in Major League Baseball, even though he hasn't been getting that type of attention other than negative attention when he threw Mason Wynn's first hit ball into the crowd when the Mets were in St. Louis. But yeah, still 46 home runs on the season for Pete Alonso. He's been very good. But before um, before we got to wrap things up, you know, I'm going to move on from this Mets first Marlins first game of the doubleheader. We'll get to the second game because this is where all the positive stuff happens because I don't want to stay on the negative stuff because the Marlins, yes, this game was not 
all bright, but behind the clouds, the Marlins saw the sun. That was kind of a bad line. But the fish broke through, thanks to some luck, in the bottom of the ninth inning with the bases loaded. And you have Yuli Gurriel pinch hitting for Jake Berger, who had already gotten ejected uh, previously in the game. Remember, Arise is on the bench. He's injured, as we already talked about. And also Jorge Soler, who played in the first game. No injuries were reported, or nobody said anything about any injuries on Twitter. So nobody was aware, neither was the Marlins broadcast, of any injuries. But Soler did not pinch hit and was not used in this game because he wasn't in the lineup. And he was just in the dugout in his hoodie. So that's pretty concerning. But anyways, Gurriel hits a chopper to third. Not really a big chopper, but just kind of a weak ground ball. Routine grounder, you would say, to third base. And luckily for the Fish, they catch a massive break. Brett Beatty misplays it, and he lets everyone advance. The Marlins go station to station, and they score a run on that play. De La Cruz comes up next after Jazz strikes out, and De La Cruz hits a line drive into left field. It was too hard to get two runs in, but it got another run in, gave the Marlins a two-run lead, and then Hampson struck out after that, or Sanchez was retired, I forget how, and then Hampson struck out to end the inning. But the Marlins ended up scoring two with the bases loaded and no outs, thanks to some luck from some bad fielding, an error from Brett Beatty. The Mets made two errors in this game, actually. And, yeah, the Marlins caught a break. That's how they won this game. But there's always an excuse for it, and the excuse that I have for this break is that it evens out when the umpires made that bad call and they called the Jorge Soler homer foul, and they messed up. It was the whole thing. I talked about that on my podcast in a previous episode. But, yeah, the umpires tried to screw us over in this game. They actually did. That's why Skip Schumacher was ejected. It was a terrible call when Jake Berger was up at bat. I believe it was a 1-2 count, and Jake Berger sees a pitch outside the zone. It was a few feet out outside, clearly outside. It wasn't one of those calls that could have gone either way. Nah, it was clearly a ball. The ump calls it a strike. Jake Berger says some words to the umpire, and immediately, two seconds after getting rung up for strike three, Jake Berger gets ejected from the ball game. Skip Schumacher comes out. He gets ejected by the home plate umpire, Ramon De Jesus. Not Emmanuel Jesus for the Marlins. And then, you know, the Marlins have a new manager. The bench coach comes in to manage for the fish. But, yeah, overall, a mess of a doubleheader. And, you know, the another way that the umpires tried to screw over the Marlins was Jazz Chisholm decided to tag up on kind of a routine fly ball to center field. And this was a gutsy decision by Jazz Chisholm. And this was with no outs. The fly ball made it one out in the inning after Jazz got on, and then um, Jazz was actually called out at second base, and, you know, you thought he would be out. The throw beat him, but Jazz was able to beat the tag somehow, get around the tag. Uh, The guy at second base for the Mets tagged Jazz, but his glove went in between where Jazz's hands were, and Jazz touched the base before the tag could get to Jazz, and, you know, obviously he was originally called out on the field, and then the replay, after a pretty short replay review of about only about 40 seconds, overturns it. Jazz is safe 
and then, you know, the Marlins end up winning later in that ball game. But yeah, Andrew Nardi, I mentioned that he was closing tonight. He looked great. Nardi, he lost a guy with two outs in the inning on a full count. He walked, he walked him, but other than that, Nardi was very solid. He was getting the swings and misses. Two strikeouts in the inning and a swinging strikeout to end the ball game. And so was most of the relievers. So were most of the relievers. A.J. Puck, an inning and a third. Or an inning and two-thirds, sorry. And he only gives up one hit in that span. Strikes out two guys. And he was able to lift Johnny Cueto after Cueto left the game with some inherited runners on base. He was able to strand all of them. And then Robertson came in, pitched a scoreless inning. And then Matt Moore pitched a scoreless eighth. He gets credit for the win. Well, Nardi gets credit for the save, just his third of the season, and I believe the third of his career as well as he was just called up last year to make his Major League debut. So this is technically his rookie season because he didn't pitch enough last year, I don't think, to qualify as a rookie. But some great stuff from Nardi the whole season. Great stuff from Matt Moore. He's been pretty good as a Marlin in, like, what, two or three games. And then Robertson and Puck who have been the weak spots of this bullpen in the second half. Both of the former closers looked very good in their combined two innings and two-thirds. So overall, a good second game of the doubleheader by the Fish at City Field, which has been pretty empty throughout this series. Well, just today because, you know, two games in one day. But I'm sure it'll be empty again tomorrow because the Mets are completely out of it as they are 72 and 86. What a frustrating season for the Mets. And the Marlins, I mean, again, it wasn't all bright, like I mentioned, with the ejections. And also, with runners in scoring position, the Fish were... Why can I not find that? I, I can't find it now. I should, I should be able to find what they were with runners in scoring position. But the bottom line is, it was pretty low. It was, it was pretty bad. It's not showing me how they went with runners in scoring position, but either way, yeah, the Fish still, they were not knocking in runners in this game. And that shows because, I mean, the Fish got a homer from Jesus Sanchez in the fourth. They got a leadoff homer from John Birdie in the first. But other than that, they didn't knock in any base runners until they knocked in two in the ninth. And even that, they got lucky by Brett Beatty's error. So their only true RBI hit or RBI knock was Brian De La Cruz's rocket single into left field. But the biggest thing the Marlins did today, two things actually. Number one, they clinched a winning season over 500 in a full 162-game season for the first, for just the eighth time in franchise history. And if I'm correct because 2020 doesn't count. This is the first time that the Marlins have been over 500 since 2016. And no, 2016, they weren't even over 500. And now I'm trying to find the last time they were over 500. I thought they were over 500 in 2016. They finished in the high 70s. They have not been over 500 since not 2012, not 2011. I don't think 2010. I know that was the last time we won 80 games. Yeah, we won exactly 80 in 2010. So they have not been over 500 
since 2009 it was. 2009, the Marlins did not make the playoffs. They won 87 games. They finished six back of a division title behind the Philadelphia Phillies. Um, yeah, the Marlins should have made the playoffs in 2009. I guess they must have barely missed it, but I was barely, I was, I was not alive during that time. I was born 2010. And anyways, we're going to wrap up this podcast. Thank you all for listening. And I will see you guys on the next episode of Marlins HQ. But yeah, the Marlins are 82 and 76. And they also currently hold the tiebreaker over the Chicago Cubs. So if the season ended today, they would be in with a wild card spot. And the Diamondbacks with two wins over the White Sox. There are two games ahead of us in Chicago. And the Reds lost today. So they are a game and a half behind us, about to get eliminated, and the Padres and Giants. Their magic number for both of them is both, is also is one. And then, yeah, that's pretty much it for the wildcard race, but there's a lot of madness going on in the AL wildcard race. But, yeah, I'll see you guys in the next episode of Marlins HQ. Let's go fish.